All right. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna continue in our study uh, of the book of Ephesians. Um, we've made it to Ephesians two verse eleven, and we're gonna be looking at verses eleven and twelve today. And uh, you can flip there if you want to. Um, it, it, this is the beginning, but this is these two verses here kind of begin uh, what I understand to be kind of a section here where Paul's once again describing the uh, uh, the finished work of the cross. And this entire section, I think it's this verse 11 through the rest of the chapter, uh, is really nothing more than than one uh, another powerful description of what we have come to uh, and what is is a now a present spiritual reality of the new covenant. And um, so, you know, as I say so often, it's, it's never just a description of, of proper Christian doctrine or Christian understanding. This is one of Paul's many attempts to uh, <clears throat> describe in words what was to him a, a spiritual reality that he'd come to know and experience. And so, uh, today we're just going to look at, mostly spend most of our time at this introductory sentence here in Ephesians 2.11, um, having to do with circumcision and uncircumcision. So let's just read that verse. Ephesians 2.11 Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Uh, and Paul's going to go on in this section to describe how both the Jew and the Gentile have been made one new man in Christ. He's going to describe how that is a reality, how God destroyed them both in the death of Christ, raised up Christ as the resurrection and the life of all who will live, thus making peace between the two, and that is the nature of the peace. And so there's no longer enmity because the two have become one spirit. And um, we're going to get more into that in the weeks to come, but he begins this, uh, this section here by, by reminding the Ephesian people that what, what was true of them uh, prior to finding their death, burial, and resurrection in the person of Christ, prior to, uh, prior to the to the cross, the Gentiles were known by the Jews, um, and 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 were called by God. In fact, in the Old Covenant, uh, uncircumcised, the uncircumcision, and uh, and this <clears throat> uncircumcision, uh, Paul makes very clear here. Although significant of, of something spiritual to come was. At, you know, in the Old Covenant, was only of the flesh made by human hands. He uses a lot of qualifiers in this sentence here, um, and we'll look at that in a minute here, but both to show that what once was a, a distinguishing uh, reality of the Old Covenant has, uh, uh, has found its fulfillment in Christ and, and ceases to be a distinguishing reality at all, like all things of the flesh. But... Um, I like to. I guess I'd like to spend most of our time this morning um, looking at the reality of circumcision in the scriptures, why it was the sign of the covenant, what it pointed to, why God established it, why God established it with Abraham, and, and why He called it the everlasting covenant, all that kind of thing. Um, and that's certainly not going to be uh, a history lesson. Um, never, when I go back and teach out of the Old Testament, is it to understand the history of Israel or or to understand uh, just you know understanding Old Testament or Old Covenant theology, whatever. All of that is fine and nice as long as we understand that everything that God did, every every single thing that God did in the Old Covenant, 
he did as a foreshadowing of a reality that was to come in Christ. So everything we're going to talk about with reference to circumcision, even though it was a requirement for Old Covenant Israel, according to the flesh, is even more significant, far more significant uh, and essential to understand for us who have come to the fulfillment and spiritual reality of it. Uh, we've come to the fulfillment and spiritual reality of all that circumcision ever testified about. And so, in other words, you could say they were, they were only commanded to do it in the flesh because of what it spoke of in the Spirit and what we have actually come to in Christ. So it's not just something that God liked for a little while and, and now he's done with it. It's something that God has always seen with respect to salvation. And like all things of, of uh, the Old and the New Covenants, the, uh, first, he, first he testifies of it in the natural, in the flesh, in the Old, and then he fulfills it and establishes it in the person of Christ as a spiritual, eternal reality. So there's nothing, you know, this is, I've said these things before and I'm reviewing, but it needs to really sink in as we read through the Old Testament. There's nothing that God commanded or instituted of the Old Covenant that he just decided to discontinue. He never got tired of something and changed his mind. Everything commanded or instituted um, by God was put away in the flesh only when it was fulfilled and realized in the Spirit. If that makes sense. It seems that Christians, in my opinion, Christians are somewhat aware of that when it comes to things like animal sacrifices, you know, or wave offerings. We're not, you know, trying to hold on to those. But I believe so many of us remain mostly unaware of how that is also true and relates to things like priests, worship, serving God, offerings, righteousness, works, places of worship, days of the week, days of the year, that kind of thing. We'll talk more about those things later. But today, I want to, again, I want to spend most of our time on circumcision, what it was in the, in the old, and more importantly, uh, what it is now, you know, what's the spiritual reality now that we've come to in Christ. So to start with, I want to read this section uh, out of Genesis 17. You can flip there if you want to. It's Genesis 17.10, where, where God entered into the covenant with Abraham. <clears throat> uh, Genesis 17.10 through 14 is what I'll read here. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants and that were to seed uh, after you. Every male child you shall, uh, among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the, and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Well, and then he, you know, he goes on. Circumcision appears over and over and over again in the Old Covenant. You, just, you see so many times and places where the, the issue at hand is a covenant of circumcision. And God, even, uh, you know, I know that like in, in the story of David and Goliath, we like to make that story about how God helps us beat up the big bad guys. But, but really it's a story about how the faith of David saw that uncircumcision could not stand in the land, could not stand before circumcision, could not stand before the seed of God. And how uh, a view of that reality, it didn't matter how big the guy was. Um, David looks at him and says, Un, you are an uncircumcised Philistine. Who are you to stand in before the armies of the living God? And uh, so before we get into that, we have to just briefly talk about a covenant real quick because we've talked about it before, but what's a covenant? 
We've discussed in the past that a covenant is an understanding or an agreement by which two parties come into some kind of a relationship. So in order for two parties, two people, two whatever, to, to walk as one, there has to be a common understanding or a common agreement uh, by which they relate to one another. And that's what a covenant is. It's the how of a relationship. How do you relate to so-and-so according to this understanding? I have a different how relationship with my wife and covenant with her than I do with you, fortunately. And, and uh, the, there's a, a how of that relationship that is different than the how of any other relationship that I have. So... Um, you know, how do I relate with so-and-so according to this understanding, according to this agreement, according to this covenant? So the covenant that God made with Abraham had a sign that signified the nature of their relationship. And that sign was circumcision, the removal of flesh. That was the sign of the nature of their relationship, the removal of flesh. Why did God choose circumcision as the sign of his relationship with Abraham? Because God was demonstrating in the flesh, in the natural, what would come to be the understanding, the agreement, the nature of our relationship with God in spirit. So with Abraham, God chose removal of of, of natural flesh as the sign of the covenant because in Christ, the removal of the entire body of flesh would be the doorway to the new covenant. In other words, the removal of the foreskin of the flesh pointed to the removal of the entire body of flesh at the cross. So in the old, we have a piece of the old. You could say it this way, it's kind of weird, but you have a piece of the old man removed. In the new, you have the entire old man removed. So and you could say it this way. You know, what, what, what was the how of, uh, of God's relationship with Abraham? How did God have relationship with Abraham? God related to Abraham on the basis of faith and according to the reality that flesh profited nothing. And so it was put away. So flesh was removed, blood was shed, God worked with and for Abraham according to faith, or God didn't work with and for Abraham. And it's the same thing if you want to you know, get into a weird story uh, where you see that with Moses, where Moses, God tells Moses, here's what we're going to do with Pharaoh, and then Moses starts to do it, and God shows up to kill him. And it's a really strange story. And the reality is God, I mean, Moses had not uh, um, circumcised his, his two sons and his wife, quickly circumcises them, a rushed operation there, uh, and uh, saves, saves the life. So it, it sounds like a really strange story until you realize the reality of nothing can be done with God apart from this nature, this reality of relatedness to God. And it's, it's, it's so much more real in the new covenant in Christ. Nothing can be done with God, for God, from God, apart from the reality of the fulfillment of what circumcision pointed to. So, uh, God related to, to Abraham according to faith, on, according to the reality that flesh profited nothing. And so, it was, it was removed. It, it, blood was shed. And so, it's really no, no different um, than the, the covenant that we've entered into today. Ours is, is not a, a different covenant, so to speak. Ours is simply the fulfillment and the reality of this one that he made with Abraham that we just read. And that's why it's called an everlasting covenant. Uh, in the passage in Genesis that we just read. Why is it everlasting? Because God would always relate to man only by faith according to the removal of the flesh. You know, that, that circumcision of the entire old man, that didn't change. The reality of it changed, but the covenant, the understanding of the relationship um, didn't change. I love that song. Uh, 
so, you know, one testified of the other, but they both declare the same thing. One pointed to the other, but, but the other isn't contrary to the first. It's the fulfillment of it. So what God established with Abraham was eternal, not because men would always, not because men would always be required to, uh, to be circumcised in the flesh in order to have a relationship with God. That's certainly not the case today, but because all humanity would be required to face the circumcision of the cross the crucifixion of all flesh in order to have relationship with God and spirit and truth. If you can hear what I, what I mean by that. And that's exactly what we come to in Christ. The, the circumcision of the old man, the nature of flesh from the soul. The cutting down and the burial of the Adamic man. That is, is what circumcision always pointed to. That is the doorway to relatedness with God in this covenant. That is exactly what Paul says in Colossians 2.11. You don't have to turn that, I'll just read it to you. It says, In him... You are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So there you have Paul saying exactly what, in one sentence, saying exactly what I just said in you know, two pages, saying, you know, what we've come to is a circumcision. It's not the one with the hands. It's not the one according to the natural realm. It's not the, of, of the foreskin of the flesh. It's the entire body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So in Abraham's day, what God established was really a if you can see it this way, by establishing this covenant with circumcision, he, he established a division, a division of all humanity. There were those who by faith were able to relate to God according to the covenant of circumcision, and then there were those who were outside of that covenant, outside of that relationship, divided from that seed, the seed of Abraham. And you could say, in fact, that those outside, outside of the relatedness that, God, uh, that came by circumcision were, were strangers of that covenant. They were entirely without God. See, God didn't ever have a covenant A and a covenant B, you know, back then with different people and a covenant C. God had one relationship with man. I realize this isn't politically correct, but it's true nevertheless. So, uh, God had one relatedness to God. It was called the covenant, you know, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And I understand also there's also other, the Abrahamic covenant, other covenants mentioned in the Old Testament, but really, you know, this one, this one covenant of, of circumcision, uh, which came, you know, then, then he added the law and, and the priesthood and, and the kingdom, whatever. But this relationship that God established with, with Old Covenant Israel is, is the, I'm trying to say here, is, is the only covenant he ever, uh, he had in that day relating to human beings. Apart from that covenant, uh, they were strangers of the covenant and without God. And the reason I'm saying that um, is because the very next verse in Ephesians says that that is true of the Gentiles prior, prior to them coming to the new covenant in Christ. Ephesians 2.12 says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's quite a statement. Quite a statement about those who are outside of the covenants of promise. Notice they're called the covenants of promise, not the covenant of fulfillment. That's what we are in today, but the covenant of promise. They were aliens from what was promised to Israel. They were strangers from this covenant. They were without hope. They were without God in this world. It's very important. And again, I know, I know it's, it's, it's common for, for people in the church to, to think in, in a way that all people in the world kind of have some sort of relationship with God. 
but Christians have a better one or they have a forgiven one, but everyone kind of has some kind of relationship with God. But that's not really how it works. There's only one, in spirit and in truth, there is really only one relationship with God. And that is the relationship of sharing His life. That is the relationship that Christ has with His Father and it is in spirit and truth. And you and I are either part of Christ's relationship with His Father by being born of His seed, by being born of His Spirit. That's what being born again. It's not you get a second chance or you turn over a new leaf. It's a new life that you're born into. And so you're either born in His Spirit and abide in Him or you are part of the sea of, of, of Adamic humanity that has no hope and is without God in the world. And I know that, that kind of you know, hits you kind of funny, but it's, it's, you know, it's true. You can't make this verse say it any less strong than, than Paul says it here in Ephesians 2.12. So, you know, how, do you, how do you know? How do I know that that's true? I, I, it's, I know it's true because Christ didn't... If you can hear this without throwing a tomato, remember I'm crippled today. Uh, don't pick on the guy that's down. But Christ didn't give... Now don't hear what I'm not saying, but Christ didn't give you a relationship with God. Christ is your relationship with God. See, if you're outside of Christ, then you're outside of relationship with God. God is still there, of course, seeking to draw you into relationship through Christ. He's still causing rain to fall and sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous, but an unbeliever can't truly be said to be in relationship to Him because Christ is that relationship with God. Sharing the life of Christ brings you into that relatedness with God. That's why Jesus can look at the Jews when he walks in the earth and though they've had the Torah for you know, 2,000 years or whatever, he looks them right in the eye and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, not one of you knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Why? Because to know me is to participate in my life. And so when my life lives in you, you and then that life is revealed and you, you can know something of, the, of God. But apart from that, it's words. Words on a page. And you became in the earth for those years a testimony of what is now coming in myself. I'm speaking for Jesus here. But that's all you, that you were. Now come to the reality of it. Now be born again. As he says to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, you can't even see any of this stuff until you're born into it, buddy. You know? So, anyway, so he's, he's you know, a, a believer. I, I suppose you could say that a believer has a relationship with God as long as you understand that rela- the nature of that relationship is what the Bible calls judgment or death. Uh, separated from life. And that's why Jesus and the apostles and, and John the Baptist, you know, they make, they make these strong statements that, you know, I'm sure they don't, no one like holds them up at the football game or anything, but, uh, but about the world being completely without God apart from, uh, you know, these, these verses like John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Or John the Baptist says in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Ooh. You know, that's, that's um, kind of a fiery verse, but the reality is, it's just true, there is this one relationship with God, it is called Christ. When God gives you Christ, He doesn't give you a separate relationship with God, He gives you Christ's relationship with His Father. And by the Spirit of the Son within you, you cry out, Abba, Father. And it is by sharing one life, you see? So, so you have to realize that, that your relationship with God is Christ. It's a person. And that's why in order for you to understand your relationship with God, that person must be revealed in you. Otherwise, you make up what it means to be related to God. 
and it becomes a bunch of things that you do and don't do and rules that you try to obey and things that, whatever, you know, it just becomes a bunch of silly stuff. So you have to realize that what God has done for you by the cross is to bring you into Christ's death so that you could live by his life and thereby inherit Christ's eternal union and relationship with his Father. So I'm not saying you become Jesus. I'm saying that Christ lives in you and he has made unto you and appointed unto you a covenant. See, Christ becomes your covenant. Christ becomes your relationship. Christ becomes the, the understanding and agreement of your relatedness to God. Not I, but Christ. So Christ is appointed to you a covenant with God. And this is not anything different than what the prophets prophesied. If you look at Isaiah, for instance, Isaiah 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, this is the Father speaking to the Son. This is one of, those, uh, one of the several uh, times where you, you see kind of a interact conversation in the Godhead where, where God is speaking to the Son, saying things uh, like, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and I will hold your hand and I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Now, that's a strange thing. How can I give you as a covenant? Unless you realize that he becomes the actual relationship that we have with God. Isaiah 49, 8, thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. I mean, it's, it gives me goosebumps just seeing that before this, long before this ever happened, what, 700 years before, you know, God's sitting there looking at his son saying, Hey, buddy, I'm going to give you as the relationship that, that those who will live in you and by you will have with me. And they will be sons because you are my son. They will have life because you are the life. You know? So Christ is your relationship, your covenant with God. So once, going back here, once in the days of the old covenant, the relationship with God was according to the sign of circumcision, where man would lose flesh and enter into covenant by blood through faith and become an expression in the earth of him who was to come. And they did that by way of a, a priesthood, a kingdom, a law, feast, sacrifices, and all that. What was all that about? That was about a relationship. That was about a covenant. That was about a people who did all of that as a testimony of their relatedness to God. And all of it was a testimony of Christ. Christ the high priest. Christ the king. Christ the sacrifice. Christ the offering. All of it was Christ. Now in the new covenant, it's no longer a natural testimony of that kind of relationship, but it's a spiritual reality of union with Christ. It's not a little blood from a little portion of the natural man. It is as the sign of the covenant. Now the sign of the covenant is the death and burial of Jesus Christ, in whom we were crucified. I was crucified with Christ. In whom we were baptized into death. Romans 6, Colossians 2, I mean all over the place. In whom the entire body of flesh was put off. And I'm saying this in a handful of different ways, hoping that, that one of them will strike you kind of with some force. I, 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 want it, I want it to strike you, first of all, that old covenant circumcision was the God-given picture of our relatedness to God. And I want it to strike you even harder that what you have come to is not the end of circumcision, but the reality of circumcision, the fulfillment of it, the removal of the entire body of flesh. And it's essential that we see that so clearly because herein is the relationship with God that we have come to through the gospel. The gospel isn't the forgiveness of the old. Sure, there is forgiveness, but the forgiveness is through the death of the old, forgiven in that it was removed. The removal of one kind, one nature, one seed, the body of flesh, put away. You see, so we could partake of another. Failing to understand that, we completely fail to understand what? The covenant. What is that? Our relationship with God. 
you can't understand our relationship if we think we're still living for God. You don't live for God in this covenant. He lives in you. And you are changed into his likeness as he is formed in you. That is the nature of this relatedness. Why? Because of circumcision. Flesh was cut off at the door. That's what happened when you came in. See, we, we, in our mind, we pack up our flesh suitcase and move on into Christ, and then we try to unpack the best things and offer them back up to him, but it does no good. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a house of cards. It's a vain imagination. And so, as we've mentioned in our study in Ephesians, particularly when we looked at Paul's description of the natural man in the beginning of this chapter, chapter 2, until we see the reality of circumcision, we're going to try to improve for God what he's already condemned and already removed. That's why, that's why God makes such an enormous deal of circumcision in the Old Covenant because you ha- if you don't understand the nature of this relationship, you're cut off from the people. Why? Because God you know, is just hung up on, on obedience to a command? No, because there is a way that a people have come into relatedness with God. There's not a bunch of ways. There's not A through Z. You pick it. You know, it is death. It is blood. It is removal of flesh. So he demanded that they, those who, who, who uh, were his people understand that, that they were his people through the removal of that flesh. So God says to Abraham, buddy, here's the sign. Here's the sign of our relationship. Here's the sign of our ability to walk together. Here's the sign of the understanding that has brought us into relationship. Cut off the flesh of all your sons. Cut off the flesh of the whole company of people. Cut off the flesh of the whole seed of, of, of Abraham. I can see Abraham asking this question, why God? You know, and God answering, Abraham, because... In your flesh dwells no good thing, trust me. Because the flesh profits nothing. These are just things that Jesus said. Because in my sight no flesh will glory. Because you will gain nothing in and through the flesh. If you gain, it will be the gain of my son, the promised seed, and it will be by faith. See, apart from me you can do nothing. Relatedness to me, Abraham, is actually going to be the exchange of what you call life for what I know life to be. And now let me show you something of that by telling you to do this, go leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house, and I'll show you my land. You see? And that's how it began with Abraham. And the story of Abraham's life is the story of several altars. Altars that he built unto God, each one signifying something of himself that he left behind, that he shouldn't have brought with him to begin with, but that he left behind in exchange for God's inheritance. And if you were to ask Abraham later on in his life you know, why he was circumcised, I bet he would answer something like this. Because it's not I but Christ. Or not I but God. You know, not knowing the name of Christ. But not I but Him. Because I tried it in the flesh and, and I kept getting Ishmael's. Because I tried to bring things with me and they always got in the way. Because everything I have, everything I have inherited and everything that I have been promised is, is through the increase of His seed. It is all Him and not I. Okay, so let's bring all that back into, the, into our verse today. Paul says that the Ephesians were once Gentiles in the flesh who were called on circumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by human hands. You see all those little qualifiers he throws in there? See, and then he goes on to describe how they were previously alienated from God and from the covenants of promise and without God in the world. And he explains all this because he's about to describe the wonderful reality of what he calls the one new man. And we're going to spend a good amount of time on that. But for this morning, I just want us to notice how Paul is he's going out of his way here to talk about, um, to show that these fleshly distinctions simply do not exist in Christ. 
And look at how many ways he tries to show us that the fleshly types and shadows of this division between uncircumcised and circumcised have come to an end and found reality in Christ. He says that they were once Gentiles, implying that such a distinction is no longer relevant between Jew and Gentile. In fact, he says umpteen times in the New Testament there is no such thing as Jew and Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, male, female. Christ, but it is what? Christ all and in all. He adds, in the flesh, to signify that it was never a spiritual distinction. He says they were called uncircumcision, implying that in the typology, you know, it was really just a name and not a spiritual condition. He goes on to insist that even the so-called circumcision camp was only made in the flesh by human hands. So can you see what he's doing? He's trying to remove from their heart any thought that anything of the flesh, anything of the testimony in the natural, has spiritual relevance in Christ. And though it once testified of, though it once spoke of and demonstrated something of spiritual reality, it certainly did. Now that the spiritual reality is here, the natural types and shadows have been fulfilled. See, they're not destroyed. See, God's not done with what he said through circumcision, but he has fulfilled it in the reality of, of, of true circumcision by the cross. So, the, so it's not destroyed, it's fulfilled. And in being fulfilled, they're not over and done with, except as natural shadows. And these natural shadows have come to be real and eternal and spiritual substance in Christ. And so he insists that both Jew and Gentile completely let go of what was only a powerless, substanceless shadow of what has now come to be real. Again, not because God changed his mind, but because what was always on God's mind when he decided to give the natural testimony has now come. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Colossians 2 and Galatians 4. Colossians 2.16, he says, Let no one then judge you in regard to food or drink, and this is the food and drink of the old covenant laws and institutions, regarding feasts or new moons or Sabbaths. See all these things of the old covenant that were, that were commanded. Which are what? Verse 17, a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. But now that you have known God, or rather have come to be known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and worthless elements in which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years, things of the old covenant, natural types and shadows here. He says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. So here's what Paul's saying. There was, once a, there was once a division in the flesh between circumcision and uncircumcision that pointed to the division of the cross. God set apart a people for himself and they were the corporate expression of his coming son. Those people were set apart. They were divided from the rest of the nations through the covenant of circumcision. Now the true circumcision has come. The removal of the body of flesh through the, through the circumcision of Christ. Now you are not set apart through the circumcision of the foreskin of your flesh. You're set apart as a new creation. Set apart from the old man. Set apart from the old creation. Set apart from the old covenant in Christ. A new life. You know, new creation, new covenant. That's the set apart. It's no longer in the flesh. It's no longer according to people and flesh and places and things like that. That all spoke of something that has now come. You see? And therefore, these shadows that pointed to it have, have, have dissolved in the appearance of the reality. And yet, Paul's constant struggle and, and heartache, I believe, for... The church of his day was watching people continue on in what God had put away. 
They continued trying to serve God and know God and please God through types and shadows of His coming Son rather than abiding in and making manifest the actual Son Himself. This is Paul's perpetual struggle with the church in the New Testament. This is his constant struggle with what were called the Judaizers, those who were the professed faith in Christ but were always bringing them back into some kind of observance of the law. And I know for a fact that that is God's perpetual struggle with the church today as well. What is this? We, we like them, though perhaps in slightly different ways, continue trying to serve God, know God, please God, through types and shadows in the flesh of what God has already established in Christ. It's like what he says in Romans 10.2, failing to receive what God, the righteousness that came from God they seek to establish it themselves. A righteousness of their own. Impossible. Give me some examples. Well, um, I usually try to let the Holy Spirit deal with people on, on uh, specific examples. Uh, but since there's not a whole lot of people left to offend here, <laughs> um, I may be a little more frank this morning. Uh, maybe, maybe some visitors, I don't know. But um, I w- I'll just say a few examples here. I won't say much about them, but... Um, I'll throw them out there for you to discuss at your leisure. <laughs> uh, for instance, here, here's, here are ways, here are a list of a few ways that we think that uh, where we live with an old covenant understanding of relatedness to God, even though we've come to the fulfillment of it in Christ. Okay? And I'll let you connect some of the dots. But we think that places, buildings, and people are anointed. See, that's an old covenant reality that pointed to Christ. Everything anointed in the old covenant was either a dwelling place, a person, or an instrument that was a God-ordained testimony of his Son. There's not a single person, place on earth that is anointed. There is a Son who is the anointed of God and who indwells a people, and people occupy places. But Christ is the anointed of God. And if the anointed one is working in you, well, then you can say, well, there is some of the anointing, but it is not I, the Christ. I, there's, a, there's a very awkward silence after that. Um, <laughs> it gets worse. Should I stop? <laughs> okay. Uh, we think that, that things done in the flesh are pleasing to God, offering sacrifices, not, not of animals, obviously, but of our time, money, food, preferences. We think that in doing such things that God is pleased with our attempts to, 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 to sacrifice ourselves in that way or, or our attempts to obey the Mosaic law or keep fasts and feasts and holy days, walking according to outward commands. See, these are all ordinances of the Old Covenant. All of them come to spiritual reality in Christ when Christ, who is our life, is formed in us. It's no longer us trying to serve a copy of the righteousness of God in the law. It is the person of righteousness now formed in us, manifesting himself. I'm not saying we're free from righteousness. I'm saying we're bound by life now, the life of Christ being formed in you to manifest that righteousness. There's nothing different than what Paul says in Romans 8.4. The righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us who no longer walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So here we have the very person who was described by the law now working in us as we walk according to his life, his life as we abide in him. And, and then he becomes the offering up to the Father. You see, it's not us that we're offering up to the Father. 
He is what we offer up to the Father. He is He's the day of rest that we come into. He is the jubilee. He is the feast. You know, the feast days of God. We, you know, we don't make sacrifices for God. We are the living sacrifice so that Christ can live in us. Do you see? Christ is the all of these things. He's, he's the all of all of them. Now And now he's dwelling in the midst of his people in spirit and truth, not in a, a shiny cloud or a pillar of fire. These aren't things that we learn how to do. They are things that he is and they are things that work in us as his increase becomes our decrease. Okay, number three here. Still the awkward silence. But we think that God, we think that God sees us according to the flesh. We think that God sees us as white, black, male, female. You know, we think that Honestly, and we, we, we fight for things like rights, you know, these kind of rights, those kind of rights. We think that God wants our churches to have equal representation of different nationalities and stuff. Like you might be concerned with those things, and that's fine. But God put white, black, male, female, Jew, Gentile, all into the body of Christ and crucified the whole lot. Furthermore, he has raised up his son as the life of all who live so that there is now no remaining vestige of the old. And Paul says that time without number in the New Testament. And even though he does tell us that there is no such thing as Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female in Christ, we still act as though God is a respecter of persons. Okay, number four. <laughs> we think God's re- God rewards us in the natural realm for how good of Christians we are being. Business is doing good this year. I must be doing something right. My teenage daughter is pregnant. I must be doing something wrong. God is teaching me something. God is punishing me. Friends, the law had natural blessings and curses based on conformity to the natural things demanded by that covenant. In the new covenant, all the blessings are ours in Christ Jesus. That's what it says in the very beginning of Ephesians. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ Jesus. He's not doling them out as you, as you behave. Do you know? Hello? In the new covenant, all of them are ours in Christ. All of the curses demonstrated by the law are fulfilled in, in what it is to be separated from Christ. The death that, that is life without God. Not stuff he's going to throw. You know, this my hip, this isn't God teaching me a lesson. This isn't God trying to teach me how to suffer for him. This is just a bad freaking hip. Okay. I'll cut that out. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, this one's kind of like one of the other ones I didn't notice. But we think that God has to do with we think that pleasing God has to do with obedience and conformity to outward commands, and, and really pleasing God has to do with obedience and conformity to the indwelling Christ, which is really through the revealing of Christ you become obedient unto death, the death of the old, and obedience unto the living One who is in you. So you're conformed to Him, not outwardly conformed to rules. I mean, how many times have I heard people say, "You can't do that. That's not even Christian." See, that doesn't even make sense. You realize it doesn't make sense? It may not, you may not be able to do it because it's not Christ. It's not something Christ is. But it, it, Christianity isn't like, well, I should be careful here. Stick to my notes. I, I kept it, you know. <laughs> it just it makes a lot of work for me to go back and cut it all out of the, the audio. You know, you can take it where you want it, but... We are, we, are, we are given the life of another. 
so that we can be conformed to that that person through conformity to death, walking and, and attaining his resurrection. That's what it says in Philippians 3. We are conformed to his death that we may attain to his resurrection. And that's not a, an event. That's a reality of life that we have come to now. Okay, and number six, we wait for things that have already come. Hello? We're in the covenant, the light, the kingdom, the relationship, the life that they were waiting for. And so often we act just like Jews, trying to keep the commandments while we wait for Jesus to come. And that's just sad. He didn't just drop off a better book. He gave us his life. You can have whatever you want in the future. It doesn't matter to me. As long as you have life and fulfillment and new covenant now, now in Christ, and learn to live in it and learn to walk it and learn to live by it. I don't know if I should mention this one or not, but I will. Um, This is so controversial in the church and it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. But my goodness, there is a mania out there about this and it's just so silly. We actually think that God is in love with a piece of geography in the Middle East that served for centuries as the type and shadow of a people coming to dwell in His Son. And now His Son has come and we actually spiritually dwell in Him. We now dwell in the true land of God. We actually now have the true kingdom of David. We now have come to the cities that we don't have to build and the vineyards we do not have to plant and the, and, the, and the wells we do not have to dig and all that Israel, the natural land, spoke to. Victories we don't have to fight and yet Christians have their eyes glued to CNN to see what God might be doing in the so-called Holy Land. A land that he gave to the Romans because that they did not recognize the day of their visitation. Jesus said that, Luke 19, I'm not saying that. He said, I'm giving it over to them because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. And we have our minds set on all of these different things and they're all in the natural realm, all of them. What do we do? How do we behave? What is God, you know, punishing me for? What is God doing, you know, in the news? Uh, Rather than looking to what God has done in Christ in you. And so Christianity becomes about this outward transaction and this outward conformity and these outward uh, r- r- things we do and outward things we stop doing and outward things we wait for. And what does that lead to? That leads to 75 years of a really depressed religious life. So, what's it all come to? Well, it, com- it, it co- comes from, it comes, honestly, it comes from not understanding something called the New Covenant our current relatedness to God. And if we do not come to his understanding of that covenant, then unfortunately we create our own understanding of that relationship with God. And man, there's as many ideas on that as there are people in church pews this morning. So what we must come to, and that's why I preach the necessity of Christ being revealed. The Spirit teaching our hearts because unless God shares with us His understanding of that relationship, we will make it up every time and write books about it and teach about it and, 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 and get people on board. And, and, and there's all kinds of huge movements. And, I, you know, Lord bless the people. You know, I, I was a big proponent of a lot of the things I just denounced for most of my life. But they just don't have existence in Christ. So, anyway, that's it. I'm stuck here, so you guys can leave. <laughs> Why don't we stand and I'll just pray and we'll we'll stop.